Bhakti Devi ki jai, Tulsi Maharani ki jai, Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Badaya Krishna Vastai Vadalai. Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Devi Gauravani Pacharani Nivasesa Sanivani Paskatyade Satarani Mandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Parakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Stam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bhitamscha Panchakalpachu Bhishaki Pasindabhya Pachapati Janam Pavanavyo Vaishnavavyo Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya October 22nd, 2013, in Hilo, Hawaii, over Skype, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 8, Prayers by Queen Kunti and Brickets Save, the last verse, text 52. Yata Pankena Pankabya Suraya Vasurakritam Bhutahatyam Tataivaikam Nayagnair Marshitam Nayagnair Yata As much as Pankena, by the mud, Pankambaha, water mixed with mud, Suraya, by wine, Va, either, Surakritam, impurity caused by the slight touch of wine, Bhutahatyam, killing of animals. Tata, like that. Eva, certainly. Ekam, one. Na, never. Yagnai. By the prescribed sacrifices, 
Marshtum to counteract Arhati is worthwhile. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. As it is not possible to filter muddy water through mud or purify a wine-stained pot with wine, it is not possible to counteract the killing of men by sacrificing animals. Purport. Ashramedha yagyas or gomedha yagyas, sacrifice in which a horse or bull is sacrificed, were not, of course, for the purpose of killing the animals. Lord Chaitanya said that such sacrifices, such animals sacrificed on the altar of Yagya were rejuvenated and a new life was given to them. It was just to prove the efficacy of the hymns of the Vedas. By recitation of the hymns of the Vedas in the proper way, certainly the performer gets relief from the reactions of sins. But in case of such sacrifices improperly done under inexpert management, surely one has to become responsible for animal sacrifice. In this age of quarrel and hypocrisy, there is no possibility of performing the yagyas perfectly for want of expert brahmanas who are able to con- conduct such yagyas. Maharaj Yudhisthira therefore gives a hint to performing sacrifices in the age of Kali. In the Kali Yuga, the only sacrifice recommended is the performance of Harinam Yagya inaugurated by Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But one should not indulge in animal killing and counteract it by performing the Harinam Yagya. Those who are devotees of the Lord will never kill an animal for self-interest, and as the Lord ordered Arjuna, they do not refrain from performing the duty of Ksatriya. The whole purpose, therefore, is served when everything is done for the will of the Lord. This is possible only for the devotees. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the first canto, eighth chapter, of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Prayers by Queen Kunti and Pariket Saved. Yata pankena pankabya Suraya va surakritam bhutahatyam tataivakam nayagnair marshtum arhati. As it is not possible to filter muddy water through mud or purify a wine stained pot with wine, it is not possible to counteract the killing of men by sacrificing animals. Many years ago, we used to show the Indian movies of the Ramayana and Mahabharat in the Gurukula and we would also show them for the whole community in North Carolina every Sunday after the Sunday feast we had for the Gurukula we had a huge screen and a projector I mean nowadays everybody has a projector and a screen but in those days it was very uncommon or at least everyone has a big TV but anyway we, we, we had it for the school so the whole community would come by and every week we'd watch one episode of Mahabharata, and before that we'd watch the Ramayana. So we had them in Hindi with English subtitles, and it was our our exciting thing to do, you know, watch the next episode, and e- even though we'd seen them, at least our family had seen them in Detroit and then in North Carolina, so we'd seen them over and over and over again. No, we also had a, a version of the Ramayana with just Hindi before it had come out with the English subtitles. So I remember one time... I was watching one of these episodes just myself. I, I turned it on the video machine, and I thought, oh, this sound's not loud enough. I, I can't hear it. So I kept turning up the volume, and I was like, why can't I hear it? Why can't I hear it? And then I realized I was watching the Hindi one. I was watching the one without English subtitles. So although the volume was really loud enough, 
because it was only in Hindi and I couldn't understand it, I assumed that the volume wasn't loud enough. You find sometimes if we're talking to a person who speaks another language, we think if we just talk more loudly and more slowly, they'll be able to understand us. Yeah. You go you go up to somebody who, who speaks French, they don't speak any English, and you try to communicate in English. And when they just give you this blank look or say they don't understand, you talk English to them louder. <laughs> so <laughs> this has happened to me so many times. I mean, I'm in foreign countries and people will speak their language to me. And when I don't understand, they just try to speak it louder. Right? Just do more of the same thing that's causing the initial problem. Or just speak it more slowly or something like that. So the problem is I don't know the language. And if I don't know the language, no matter how loudly or how slowly or how carefully somebody speaks it, I'm still not going to understand a word. You see this happen all the time with parents and, and teachers also dealing with children where the child doesn't obey so they give the child some punishment and the child still doesn't obey so then they give them a stronger punishment. The child still doesn't obey and they keep increasing and increasing and increasing the punishment. You see this in relationships in the family and in a workplace, you know, somebody's angry so they yell, and the, other, and the other person doesn't do what they want, so they yell louder. And the other person still doesn't do what they want, so then they yell louder and louder and louder. Right? Or then, then they start insulting. <coughs> so this is very common. You know, if you're trying to, or you're trying to win a, a debate, we see this again all the time. I just saw this recently in some interaction with, some of the ISKCON leaders, so uh, there was a debate on a particular philosophical and practical topic. So person A had said, okay, well, there's this and this problem. And person B said, oh, yeah, well, that problem is solved with these quotes and this situation. And, and person A just repeated the same thing. They said, oh, there's this and this problem, exactly what they had said before. And then person B just simply gave them the same quotes again. And it went on and on and on like that. that. That person A and person B were simply reciting the same arguments and the same quotes to each other over and over again. And when the other side wouldn't listen, then they would start also being insulting. So this is, you know, how often do we do this? That we're doing something, it's not working. And so we just try to do more of it. Or we try to do, you know, a, a, a slightly different variety of the same thing and we, we think you know if something isn't working I just have to do it more of course sometimes that's true sometimes you know, you're trying to open a jar and you just have to do it harder to open it so there, there are times certainly when the solution is to do the same thing but do it harder or do the same thing but do it in a you know slightly slightly uh, differently <laughs> so sometimes the solution is to escalate what you're already doing but Yohannar Yudhisthira is pointing out here that you're not going to solve a problem with the same thing that caused the problem. And Albert Einstein said something similar. He said that you will not solve a problem with the same consciousness that created the problem. So you don't solve a problem with the same thing that caused the problem. 
And if you're doing something that's not working, you try something that's radically different. So this, this concept is very difficult for most of us conditioned souls. Most of us conditioned souls consider that if we're not solving our problems, that the difficulty is not within us. But the difficulty is within the other people or within the circumstances and not within us. We don't try to change something within ourselves. We don't try to adjust our consciousness. We try to adjust the other people or we try to adjust the circumstances. And this situation is is quite sad. This example with Maharaj Yudhisthira, we have the story of Muchakunda where Krishna told him, because you sacrifice so many animals as a ksatriya, you're going to have to do penance in this life because you fought with so many persons on the battlefield. You know, a person may think, oh, well, this is the, the way to freedom. But no, it's the way to further entanglement. One doesn't get rid of karma by performing karma. Even prayaschitta. Maharaj Yudhisthira is saying, it doesn't make sense. I've killed so many humans and, and animals. Right? Maharaj Yudhisthira mentioned all the humans and the animals that had died. He said, if I do a, a Vedic sacrifice where there's more killing, how is that going to solve the problem? And here he's giving two examples. You don't clean up mud with mud. And you can't purify wine with wine. You can't clean mud with mud. You can't purify wine with wine. But that's mostly what we do. Mostly what we do, we try to purify mud with mud. I see in our human relationships, if someone isn't considerate of me, I just saw this with one of my very young granddaughters yesterday. She didn't get what she wanted, so she had a whole tantrum. So I had her sit in my room to cool down, and she's yelling at me, and she said, Grandma, if you only understood me, you wouldn't have me sit in the corner. And then she starts insulting me, telling me she'll be so happy when I leave and she doesn't love me and all these things. So what is she looking for? She's looking for love. She's looking for understanding. She didn't get any understanding. So one of her brothers pushed her or one of her brothers said something mean to her. I can't remember exactly what it was. She was upset with actions of two of her brothers. So she wasn't getting love and understanding. And so how was she trying to get it? She was trying to get it by being nasty and insulting. Somebody was nasty and insulting to her, and so she was trying to be nasty and insulting as a way to get love. (laughs) So you can't clean mud with mud. If someone is, is, is hurting you, you don't get connection and love by hurting them. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We're suffering due to selfishness. Selfishness won't cure the problem. We're suffering due to material desires. A different set of material desires will not solve the problem. We don't see it. We're, we get stuck in, as, as Thomas Kuhn called it, a paradigm. We get stuck in a certain way of looking at the world. And we're convinced that our way of looking at the world is valid. 
Oh, everyone's attacking me, therefore I have to counterattack and defend. But maybe everybody isn't attacking you. So there's, you know, maybe the whole situation is different from what we think. So of course, in all the scriptures of the world, there are material rectification techniques given. Those are given why? Because they don't ultimately work. So why would all the scriptures of the world give something that doesn't ultimately work? Because you can't just bop somebody, push somebody out of their paradigm. We're very attached to our way of looking at things. Our way of looking at things is what supports our whole basis of envy and anger at Krishna. I don't like God. I'm envious of God. Therefore, I see the, that God is, is cruel and whimsical and I'm just an innocent victim of of God and of everybody, everybody just picks on me and everybody just harasses me and the whole world is out to get me, my body's out to get me, my mind's out to get me, the weather's out to get me, the demigods, fate and luck and my parents and my spouse and my in-laws and my children and everybody's out to get me, and the animals and the mosquitoes. And, and this way we can nurture our anger and envy at God. I'm not loved, I'm not cared for, there's no benevolence in the universe. And therefore we can justify the way to solve this problem is also to be envious and attacking and trying to clean mud with mud and wine with wine. If you spill wine on the floor, you don't clean it up with wine. (laughs) If you have muddy boots, you know, you don't clean your muddy boots with mud. You clean it with pure water. You clean wine with pure water. So modern society is all cleaning wine with wine. People are so crazy. And then they give them from taking their intoxicants. They're crazy from drinking their caffeinated sodas and coffee and tea and cigarettes and alcohol. Okay, give them some more chemicals to solve their craziness. You know, the whole society is falling apart from irregular sexual relationships, unmarried. All right, give people more sexual freedom. Let them have even crazier sexual relationships. That will solve their problem. People are abusing their children. They don't want their children. They're beating them and neglecting them. All right, make killing the children in the womb legal. So that's even worse abuse. All right, you're beating your child. All right, let's solve the problem by letting you kill your child. (laughs) Trying to clean mud with mud. You can't clean mud with mud. You have to get out of the paradigm completely. Our problems... I mean, here is a problem of guilt. The problem Arjudasir has of guilt. You're not going to solve your guilt problem by doing something more that's wrong. The problem is is a complete change of consciousness. And Prabhupada commenting or lecturing on this verse, he said that where Krishna consciousness begins, the very beginning of Krishna consciousness 
cannot be understood by any scientist. Said they have to get hundreds of Nobel Prizes before they could even begin to understand Krishna consciousness. <laughs> the beginning is a complete paradigm shift. I'm not this body. I have nothing to do with this body. I have nothing to do with this world. While I'm eating and walking and blinking my eyes and talking, and I'm not doing anything. I'm just the witness. This is a show. It's an illusion. It's some divine energy, some play of energy of the Lord. But it's not what it appears to be. I'm not this body. A total paradigm shift. This is not my eternal home. This is not my mother and father. This is not my in-laws or my grandchild or my nephew or my boss. Or Just like Maharaj Chichiketu's son when Narada and Nangira brought him back to life and he was told your mother and father are crying and he said I have so many mothers and fathers and so many life in which life were these my mother and father and nobody can hurt us and nobody can attack us it's not possible we can't be hurt by anything not by any weapon we're eternal we're eternal we can't do anything we can't become entangled we can't do anything in this world we're not entangled in this world we're not performing pious or sinful activities in this world we're just a witness a complete paradigm shift completely not just, okay, let me switch from the mode of ignorance to the mode of passion, the mode of passion to the mode of goodness. I mean, that's, that's good. But it's still muddy. Less muddy, but it's still muddy. You know, I got mud on the floor, so I, I have water with a, a smaller percentage of mud in it that I'm trying to clean it out with. Well, that'll work better than if I'm trying to clean it out with just total mud. But it's still not going to really solve the problem. The problem is is purity, pavitram. Complete purity. That means to see, I'm not this body. I'm a part and parcel of Krishna. So as Prabhupada's saying here, (coughs) that everything is done for the will of the Lord, not for self-interest. That's the problem. problem is self-interest. The problem is thinking that I'm separated from Krishna and I have some interest separate from the whole. That's the problem. The problem isn't really the specific thing that's being done. The problem isn't really that, you know, my little brother took my pencil or my wife insulted me or my boss fired me. Or I don't have any money in the bank. Or my, my foot's hurting. Or 
That's not really the problem. The problem is that we're acting due to self-interest. That's the problem. And what's really amazing is that everything that's happening to us is really, this is such a hard thing to accept, everything that's happening to us is really the fulfillment of our own desires, the one who's been fulfilling everyone's desires from time immemorial. We want something that's not possible in reality. Krishna fulfills it in illusion. And when we get it, we don't like it. Uh, One of my grandchildren really likes Tabasco sauce. So he had the Tabasco sauce out. And the the two-year-old picked up the Tabasco sauce. Oh, this looks like something nice. And he poured it all over his tray. And then when he's touching it, ow, ow, ow. But you wanted it. You took it. Oh, this looks very nice. We, we even see this in our dealings, you know. Oh, that's disgusting. And someone else goes, oh, let me see. What is it? Right? Somebody sends something to their friends. You won't believe this shocking and disgusting video. And then everybody wants to watch it. Oh, it was hot. And then they all tell their friends, oh, it was horrible. So, you know, it's just like that. We have some desire to try to enjoy separately from Krishna, which is only going to cause misery because we can't be separate from Krishna. We can't enjoy separately from Krishna. It's not our nature. So we get it in illusion and it gives us suffering. The key is to change our desire. The key is to, to, that comes from changing our identity. First we have to change our identity. Then we have to change our desire. And then everything is cleared. And then even if it appears to somebody in material consciousness that, you know, my foot is hurt or my husband insulted me or I lost my job or whatever, that the liberated soul is not experiencing it like that. As Krishna's Prabhupada is talking about Arjuna. That's what Krishna told Arjuna. As soon as you work as part of the complete whole in your real identity and with your real desires, uh, then all the difficulty is gone. Does that mean there's no more illusory difficulty? No, it means that you don't experience it like that. You experience that you're part of Krishna's adventure. I've just been reading a whole lot about the Govardhan Lila, it's really interesting. I mean, Govardhan Puja is coming up soon, but it was really more circumstance. I'm reading through Ananda Vrindavan Champu in sequence for the second time. And I'm at the, the point in the in the book about the Govardhan Lila, and I'm also, also reading through Shivaramarish's new book, Navaraja Mahima, and I'm also right at the Govardhan Lila. So how the residents of Vrindavan, you know, they were going to worship Indra, and then Krishna convinced everybody, particularly Nandamaraj, for everybody, that instead they should worship Govardhan. So they just say, okay, Krishna, we'll do what you want. We'll sync our desires with yours. And then all sorts of incredible adventures happened. I mean, the first amazing adventure was that Govardhan Hill manifested a form as a, as a person. 
this huge form as a person. And he had all these loving exchanges with all the residents of Vrindavan in Navaraja Mahima. That it's pulling a lot from Gopal Champu and Ananda Vrindavan Champu and, and going on at length about the form of Govardhan Hill and, and how Nandamaraj had made this huge hill of food which Govardhan was eating and saying, give me more, give me more. And all the neighboring villages took all of their stock of food and was feeding it to Govardhan and how they were feeling such love with Govardhan. It was, it was this amazing, amazing festival. And of course, then after that, there was the catastrophe and there was a flood. But very quickly, that went into another amazing festival with Krishna lifting the hill. And Nanda and Champu describes this whole city under the hill, this whole heavenly abode under the hill. So, and then after that, of course, all the demigods come and worship Krishna. And there's this amazing ceremony of offering Artik to Krishna with all of the demigods. And, I, you know, and then the cowherd men see Vaikunta and the Jamuna and so many things that as soon as the residents of Vrindavan synced their desires with Krishna's desires, then they entered into so many adventures which one could say, oh, this is a nice adventure when Govardhan Hill manifests as personal form, and this is a not nice adventure when it was flooding, and then this was a nice adventure when Krishna was lifting Govardhan Hill, but no, it was all a wonderful adventure. So that is the, the key. It has to start with some bandha. It has to start with identity. I am not this body. Sarvapati Banir Muktan Tatbartena Nirmala Rishikesha Vishikena Sevana Bhakti Uchate. I am not somebody's wife, I am not somebody's husband, I'm not someone's son or daughter, I'm not someone's mother or father, or auntie or uncle or niece or nephew or employer or employee. I'm not any of these things. I'm not a Brahman Ksatriya Vaishya Shudra, I'm not a Brahmachari Grahasta Vanaprasta Samyasi. I'm not any of these things. This is a role I'm playing in a drama temporarily. I've played so many roles in so many dramas. Many years ago I read about this man, I think his name was Tim something. He was very sick in the hospital, and at one point he went into clinical death and had an out-of-body experience, what they call near-death experience. So he went in his subtle body, and he's floating above his gross body, looking down at his gross body, and he thought, oh, that was interesting being Tim for a while. (laughs) So that, that's what it is. You know, we get to play Mr. Patel for a while and then Mrs. Smith for a while and Mr. Ching and, you know, we, we're playing all these different roles and we even get to play a role of, you know, Fido and <laughs> Tabby and Dolphin or whatever. You know, we get to try it out and try this thing. But I'm not this. I'm a part of God. I'm a soul. I'm struggling with my senses and mind only because I've forgotten I'm a soul. I'm not these things. And my duty, my only duty, is to sink my will with the will of the Lord. That doesn't mean I lose my will. It doesn't mean I lose my desire. It means I desire in ways that are in harmony with the Lord. My suffering is not due to my little brother taking my pencil. My suffering is not due to losing my job. My suffering is not due to breaking my toe. My suffering is due to having foolish desires. 
my sufferings due to wanting to be Tim and wanting to be Mr. Patel and wanting to be a dolphin and wanting to be this and wanting to be that. And then when I get it, I don't like it. I want to try life as a man. Oh, I don't like this. No, I don't like it. I'd rather be a woman. I try life as a woman. No, I don't like this. I'd rather be a man. Take birth as a Brazilian. Oh, I don't like it. I'd want to be an Indian. Take birth as an Indian. Oh, I don't like it. I want to be a Britisher. That, that's our problem. Our problem is our own selfish desires based on a misidentification. And even from an external point of view, that's what's causing all of our sin. Our Jesus here is talking about relieving his guilt from his sin. So sin means acting out of harmony with my real nature, ultimately. I mean, one can talk about on the platform of illusion what is sin and what is pious. Really what that means is what's in harmony with Shastra and what's against the Shastra. But ultimately... Sin means something against my nature, something against the will of God. So on a lower level of religion, people keep their upadi, they keep their independent desire, and they simply pray to God to fulfill it, instead of trying to fulfill it on their own. That's what's generally known as religion. I still think I'm a green-eyed, white, American 35-year-old lady with five kids living in Michigan and I still have desires for a new washing machine and a fancy set of shoes and whatever but now I go to God for them I go to God please God you give me the washing machine please God you give me the fancy pair of shoes but real religion is something else Real religion is I'm a soul. I'm a servant of God. Let my desires be in harmony with Him. I don't know what to desire. I don't know what to desire. My desires have given me nothing but grief. All they do is give me grief. I get, but what do they say? There's two things that are awful not to get what you want and to get what you want. I've been desiring things in this world for a long, 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 long time. I desire things. I want this object. I desire certain kind of relationships. I desire a certain kind of environment, a certain kind of body, and I get those things. Super soul gives me intelligence that I perform the necessary actions to get those things, and I get them, and I'm still not happy. As Sudama Brahman said, that the Lord is satisfied with a, a grain of rice, but the living entity is always thinking that what they have is less than their desire. So instead, uh, realize that I'm a soul, Sambandha Abhideya Prayojana. I'm a soul, and my activity is to work in harmony with the Lord. And when I work in harmony with the Lord, as Prabhupada points out here, uh, one will generally not engage in what's materially seen as sinful. That someone who's in harmony with the Lord will not kill any, any, anyone for self-interest, will not hurt anyone for self do anything for self-interest. But they may do their duty even as a ksatriya, which means they may be killing people on the battlefield, if that is the will of the Lord. 
So therefore, in Christianity, Jesus says, Thy will be done. Like the, what they call the Lord's Prayer, the basic prayer of Christianity. Thy will be done. That, Lord, let your will be done through me. Let my desires be in harmony with yours. Let me act as your part and parcel. Not that I become a robot and I don't have any of my own desires or personality, but they are in harmony. Like two dancers. Each dancer is dancing themselves, uh, but they are dancing in harmony. Right? The baby at the, at the breast. So two people, but they're in harmony. The loving husband and wife, two people in harmony. So this is what we're looking for. We're looking to be in sync. Clean mud with water. Clean wine with water. Not to clean mud with mud. So whenever we are suffering, uh, we have to think, am I trying to clean mud with mud or am I going to clean mud with water? Am I going to change my view, my consciousness, Krishna consciousness? Krishna consciousness is not a religion. Krishna consciousness is not a particular set of dogma and rituals. It's a different paradigm. The purpose of the, of the so-called dogma and the purpose of the so-called rituals is to change one's consciousness, to come to a new paradigm, to see things as they are instead of to see things according to how I want them to be in order to justify my particular desires. To see the truth and to live in the truth. And one sees the truth and one lives in the truth, and then all the mud is automatically washed away. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Uh, Ramala Prabhu, um, I've been uh, preaching to uh, one woman, and um, she's she's Christian, uh, but an open-minded one, and um, she um, she says that you know you Hare Krishnas are are too harsh. You know you're just too much into renunciation, um, too much seeing the world as negative. Like you know this is a place of suffering, and um, you know what helps me. With, with my faith in God is um, knowing that um, or having God fill some of my um, material desires for affection and marriage and things like that and so I was just wanting to know um, how you know should um, you know is there a way to respond to that or just kind of let that go that this is what she or someone just wants to believe and need and just needs that for now, and and just try to give them a higher taste in Krishna consciousness, because it seems like a real hard hump to get over. Um, they just don't want to see that, and it just seems too negative to them. So uh, your question is that if somebody's on this platform of religion of I want to be happy in the world with God fulfilling my desires, should we leave that or try to raise them to a higher platform? Well, that depends. There's the offense of preaching the glories of the holy name to the faithless, 
So one has to see with a particular individual, you know, I mean, better somebody's a Sakama devotee than a demon. So it's, it's far better that they're going to God to try to be happy in this world than that they're an atheist. But I really like this quote from Krishna book, chapter 20, Description of Autumn, where Prabhupada says, For the materialistic person, worldly affairs become too aggressive, whereas to a person who is in Krishna consciousness, everything appears to be happily situated. And this is in terms of your saying that the woman thinks we're very negative. I've had some very interesting experiences in giving this quote to devotees. So when I, when I read this, again, I'm going to read it. For the materialistic person, worldly affairs become too aggressive, whereas to a person who's in Krishna consciousness, everything appears to be happily situated. And I've had devotees say to me upon hearing this, oh, I thought it was the opposite. I thought that the materialistic people think they're happy in the world and the devotees see everything as aggressive. So here Prabhupada is saying the materialistic people see everything as aggressive and the devotees see that everything is happy. So when we talk about the material world being a miserable place, what's miserable is materialistic consciousness. What's miserable is not the world in and of itself. Just like we want to say birth, death, old age, and disease is misery. But if you realize that you're not the body, why would it be misery? You know, I had these photos taken yesterday for a visa, and my body looks so old, it's so disgusting. It's just like, oh my God. You know, if I think on this body, it's very depressing. How is it not depressing? I don't know, any of you who are listening who are young, you're not going to understand this, but I'll tell you. When your body gets old, it's depressing. If you think you're this body, it's like, oh my God, what's this ugly thing looking out at me from the photograph? But if you're not this body, what does it matter? Just like I've been in so many dramas where I put on makeup to look like a demon, or you put on makeup to look really old, and it's not depressing. What's depressing about that? In America, it's almost Halloween, so the children put on costumes mostly of ghouls and demons. They put on costumes to look ugly. They, they, they don't find that depressing. It's not that the kid puts on some monster costume and looks in the mirror and goes, oh my God, look how ugly I am. It's just a costume. So it's it, we are not uh, negative on the material world. Actually, Prabhupada says that if you criticize material world you depress Krishna because it's his energy we're negative on materialistic consciousness what we're negative on is selfishness what we're negative on is is self-centeredness and desiring something separate from Krishna we're negative on that and we're negative on that because it only causes suffering it's kind of like if you say, oh, you're so negative about alcohol, but alcohol causes so much suffering and crime and violence. You know, it's just... Like, the, you know, the mud and the wine. Oh, why, why are you being so negative about... Because materialistic consciousness is negative. So you can say to this woman, we're not negative on the world. I, In fact... What, would, what is the will of God? Is the will of God 
that everybody is, is miserable, and even on a material sense? Is that the will of God? Do we devotees of Krishna think that Krishna's will, let's say Krishna's will was fully manifest on the earth planet right now, 100%. What would the earth planet look like? Wouldn't it look like Satya Yuga? Wouldn't the earth planet be full of, of fruit trees and flower trees and there'd be a nice climate all year round and you wouldn't even have to engage practically in any agriculture? The cows would just pour their milk on the ground and the trees would just bear fruit and there'd be harmony between the different classes of people. Isn't that our description in the Shastra of when the earth is acting according to the will of God? When Lord Ramachandra comes and he's king of the world, what is the description of the world? There's not even anxiety. Even people don't have to die unless they want to. That's the will of God. So we agree with this Christian lady that the will of God is for everybody to be not only spiritually realized but have nice facility even in the material world. That's the will of God. Frankly, if we're not experienced that, it means we're out of harmony with the will of God. It means that we have desires we have had in the past desires and we probably have in the present desires that are out of harmony with the will of God. And therefore we're suffering. And you can say, well, why doesn't God just step in and, and fix our suffering? Because he wants to fulfill our desires. <laughs> he's, he's not going to interfere with the fulfillment of our desires. So what most so-called religious people do is they want to maintain their selfish desires but have God give them facility according to what would be normally his will. And that doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It's just like in a, in a business. So the employer, if he's, unless he's you know, a demon, if he's a normal person, the employer wants all of his employees to be properly compensated for their work. He wants them to have a pleasant working environment, he or she. A good employer wants the employees to be happy. So if, so let's say, some employee starts to steal from the company and then wants to keep stealing from the company but still wants to be drawing their salary and having their nice office, and that's not going to work. And that's not the fault of the employer. Nor should one go to the employer like that. One shouldn't be stealing from the company and then go to the employer and say, you know, please keep me in my job and give me all the facility of the faithful employees. So that's what most religionists do. They want to enjoy the energy of God separate from God for their own selfish purposes, and then they want God to give them the facility that's given to the loyal employee. That's generally what they want to do. So we're saying become a loyal employee of God. And if there's still some suffering due to our past foolish desires, tolerate it. If you've been stealing from the company for 20 years, you know, you're lucky to even get a job with the company again. <laughs> you know, you, you're not, probably not going to immediately get the, the corner penthouse office. And, 
and part of of restoring that relationship is tolerating accepting that you may have to have some penance to undergo because of having stolen from the company for so long so that's our, our view that whatever suffering we're getting this is due to all of my sinful desires which I probably still have sinful desires it's probably not all in the past probably not like now I have perfectly pure desires well, this is the natural reaction I, I tolerate accepting that this is my lesson and starting now as much as possible I try to sync my desires with the will of the Lord anyway how much to preach to this lady that you have to judge you know you, you, but I think you can try to explain to her that we're not world negating we're selfishness negating we're not world negating we don't yeah well we don't we don't deny the world as a beautiful part and a wonderful part of God's creation but it's a wonderful part and a beautiful part of God's creation not for us to enjoy but for us to use in his service now if we use it in his service we'll also enjoy it if my boss has a fancy schmancy car and I'm driving it in his service I also get to enjoy driving the fancy schmancy car but but in his service so you know how, how much I think a lot of it is the presentation of Krishna consciousness how we how we present our philosophy and then you have to see what a particular person is ready to hear so you might want to make some adjustment in your presentation and you know go slowly and and carefully and also work on purification people mostly change by purification not just by logical arguments Mataji, we have a question that has come in. I'd like to read if that's all right. Sure. This is from uh, Shama Chandra Prabhu. Uh, first of all, he says, uh, Prabhu, may your grace be. Uh, whoops. Uh, see, do you enjoy calamities like Queen Kunti asking them to come again and again? I'm very selfish, but I chant for spiritual help, not a washing machine. And then he clarifies it by saying, Machiji, do you yourself enjoy the calamities like Queen Kunti states in this chapter? I don't. I am very selfish. Please help me us to come to your level of Krishna consciousness. Uh, no, I don't generally enjoy calamities. <laughs> Generally, when there's some calamity, I ask Krishna to take it away. But I am grateful for calamities that have brought me closer to Krishna. Sometimes I'm grateful only in hindsight. Uh, but I am grateful for, for anything that brings me closer to Krishna. Again, again, sometimes, sometimes that takes some time. Sometimes I'm not grateful at that particular time. Sometimes, I mean, there was one time it took me 15 years I went through some calamity and at the time I was very angry. I was angry at Krishna, I was angry at the people involved, I was just angry. And I maintained my anger for about four years. But 15 years after the incident I saw very clearly, indisputably, that it was Krishna, that the whole thing had been Krishna's grace and that it had been a great blessing upon me. And not only me but my family. That the so-called calamity was was really a huge blessing and because of that experience and several others also but that was a, a major experience 
then we can come to see that everything that Krishna does is for our good. Everything Krishna does is for our good. He's benevolent. I mean, this consciousness that Krishna is benevolent, frankly, is one of the key articles of faith because I'm not going to sink my will with Krishna. I'm not going to do everything for Krishna. I'm not going to always meditate on Krishna. I'm not going to, going to give up my independent desires until I understand that Krishna is benevolent. So to understand, Bhoktiram Yagatepasam Sarvaloka Maheshram Suvadam Sarvabhutanam Gatvamam Shanti Vichiti. That's the formula for peace. God is in control and he's benevolent. So how to get that? Just keep meditating on it and hearing about it and choosing to see our life from that perspective. You can just say, okay, if theoretically God is benevolent, how could this situation possibly be benevolent? And some things I can't see at the time. I have to be patient. Another thing that helps me is I have a lot of dealings with children. And most of the time, I mean adults aren't perfect, but most of the time, adults who deal with children do so for the benefit of the child. But the child doesn't always see it that way. The child, in fact, may see the benevolent actions of the adults as, as catastrophes. It's, it's quite common, in fact, with children, even teenagers. You know, they, they see the very thing you're doing to benefit them as a catastrophe. I mean, even little things. Okay, put, please put your laundry away now. That, that's a catastrophe. You know, my life is now ruined because I have to put my laundry away. Seriously, they act like that, really, even a 13-year-old. I don't want to put my laundry away now. I want to play a game. Why are you so mean to me? Why do we want to put them to put their laundry away? So they can find their clothes. <laughs> so they won't come and say, I can't find my socks. Where's my pants? Hey, we're doing it out of benevolence. We're doing it out of kindness to them. So the baby doesn't come and knock over the laundry basket so there's just, you know, merged clothes all over the floor and they can't find anything. But they're seeing it as a catastrophe. They actually see it as a catastrophe. They don't see it as a minor annoyance. They see it as a catastrophe. My life is ruined. So by seeing that with children, you know, I can get a little bit more perspective on Krishna's dealings with me because I'm very, very foolish. I desire things that are bad for me, and the results of my foolish desires are painful. And Krishna allows me to suffer the results of my foolish desires out of benevolence. Because he wants me to learn. He wants me to do what's, what's right for me. So that's... In that way, we can, we can see our so-called catastrophes. Oh, oops, oops, oh, oops. I'm sorry, I just muted. Truly, I feel that Krishna consciousness is the most difficult um, uh, thing I've ever had to do in my whole life. I went to university, I went through so many things, and I'm glad Krishna consciousness is difficult. Because I'm glad it took me so long to get initiated. I'm glad it took 
so many troubles in Krishna consciousness. And I think it's the, the highest the highest form of philosophy because my Guru Maharaj follows it and Prabhupada follows it and I love it. Even though it is difficult, I can't stop loving it more and more every day. So thank you. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.